welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Hello, and welcome to Mad in the Family, the podcast of Madden America's Parent Resources section. I'm Miranda Spencer, Parent Resources Editor. Today, we're going to talk about the impact of the COVID-19 crisis and social distancing policies on children with different types of behavioral, emotional, and neurodevelopmental challenges. Families may be understandably worried that the stress of quarantine life may aggravate their child's struggles. Yet, we're hearing some parents saying that the changes have actually helped their child for the better. Why might that be? Our guest is going to help answer that question and provide some tips on making the most of this unusual and difficult situation. She is Dr. Nicole Birkins. Nicole Birkins has over 20 years of experience supporting children, young adults, and families. She is an expert in evaluating and treating a wide range of learning, mood, and behavioral challenges, including ADHD, autism, anxiety, mood disorders, brain injury, and behavioral disorders. Dr. Birkins holds a doctorate in clinical psychology, a master's degree in special education and nutrition, and is a board-certified nutrition specialist. She is the founder and director of Horizons Developmental Resource Center in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There, she leads a multidisciplinary team dedicated to exceptional evaluation and integrative treatment services, research on innovative treatment protocols, and professional training on best practices. Dr. Birkins is a highly sought-after international consultant and speaker, award-winning therapist, published researcher, and best-selling author. Her work has been highlighted in numerous publications, and she's an expert media source who has been quoted in Parents Magazine and the New York Times, among others. When she isn't working, Dr. Birkins enjoys spending time with her husband and four children. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. So, um... On your website, you describe yourself as a holistic child psychologist. Can you tell us about the approach you take in your practice and what makes it different from those of many conventional mental health professionals who work with young people? Sure. I'd love to talk about that. You know, I started my career as a special education teacher, working with children with more severe emotional, behavioral, and neurodevelopmental issues. I loved the work that I was doing with kids in that environment, but I quickly realized that, you know, they were with me for about six and a half hours a day. They were with their families the rest of the time and their parents and their families were saying, we need support. We want to understand how to best meet the needs of our kids. And it really got me passionate about working with families. So I went and got my doctorate in clinical psychology really to be able to work with families from Um, having the initial concerns maybe about their child's behavior and their development all the way through the diagnostic process and then through treatment. And so, you know, worked with families in, in private practice for many years using all the tools that I had learned about child development and teaching and education and and clinical psychology and and psychological approaches. And it became clear to me at a certain point that many of the children and the young adults that I was seeing, they were coming in with diagnoses of mental health issues or neurodevelopmental issues, but they also had significant physiological symptoms, Um, whether that was, you know, uh, chronic sleep problems, 
um, issues with their GI system, constipation, diarrhea, uh, picky eating, poor growth, eczema, histories of, you know, all kinds of infectious things. And I began to wonder, hmm, that, that's interesting um, that I'm seeing these patterns. And it really got me interested in understanding the connection between what goes on physically in the body with physical health and, and how that influences and intersects with brain function and with development. Around that same time, I was uh, having my own children. As you mentioned, I have four. They're all uh, older now, 13 to 20. But I had um, a couple of my own personal children who were having some physiological issues that, that also were impacting um, you know, their behavior and their anxiety. So I really started delving into the research with that and was really surprised to find um, the, the research about the connections between those things. And I thought, well, goodness, I didn't learn any of this in my training as either an educator or as a clinical psychologist. So went back to school and delved into the whole realm of nutrition and integrative health to better understand those pieces and to understand how we can use uh, nutrition to impact these things. So that, that's really the journey that my um, professional career has taken, my education um, has taken, and it really helps me address things with kids and families in a much more holistic way, not just looking at symptoms or at diagnoses, but looking at what are the reasons or the underlying root issues that are leading to these symptoms in the first place. Because I can have 10 children come into the clinic and they may all have a diagnosis, let's say, of ADHD. But the underlying issues that are causing or um, you know, exacerbating the issues with things like inattention and hyperactivity and impulsivity, those underlying issues may be different for each of those 10 children. And so to me, it's really important to understand those root causes, to look at things like nutrition to look at their sleep, to look at their overall physical health and their medical needs, to look at the relationships that they have, um, both in the home and out of the home, to look at the environment, the role of movement, the stress levels, all of those pieces play into how a child is functioning and the symptoms that they're exhibiting. And so for me to be able to look at that in a very big picture way and then drill down to those specifics and say, okay, here are some things that have not been addressed that are going to make a big difference. And, and I see that a lot. Children who come in often with multiple diagnoses of things and you know maybe it started out with attention problems, they got diagnosed with ADHD, then they started exhibiting um, anxiety, then they started having these other issues. And I'll start asking questions about something as basic as sleep and discover that this child has never slept well a night in their life. And we know from the research that a significant number of children diagnosed with ADHD actually have an underlying um, untreated sleep disorder. Hmm. So uncovering those pieces of things and being able to look at the whys, why are these things happening and help parents understand that. And then that allows us to put together a treatment plan that doesn't just address surface level symptoms, but really looks at how can we help this child um, by optimizing their physical health, their mental health, their brain function, um, so that they can reach their, their best potential. So um, all of those pieces become really important. And, and that's why I feel like that holistic approach is, is really where we need to be and, and what excites me about doing my job every day. Right. So it's a very individualized approach, I gather. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's some generalities, but overall, yeah, we're, we're looking at individual, individual needs and issues for sure. 
So you wrote a blog on your website recently talking about a counterintuitive idea. It was called, what if this pandemic is the best thing to happen to children with challenges? Can you walk us through your thoughts on that topic and what kind of challenges might actually be improved under these stressful circumstances? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I hesitated a little bit in writing that post because it is somewhat counterintuitive. And I certainly don't want to minimize the very real stressors that parents are dealing with. However, from the outset of this whole sheltering in place and, and quarantine sort of situation, I had this, um, this thought that, you know, this is actually going to be really good for lots of kids with uh, neurodevelopmental issues and mental health um, challenges. And what I mean by that is this whole sheltering in place situation provides um, an opportunity where life slows down, life simplifies because it has to, we don't have a choice. And for many of these children and, and, and young adults, they benefit from a slower pace of life and less stress. While school can be beneficial on a number of levels, school is also often a major stressor for many kids who have these challenges, whether it's the, the learning pressures or the social pressures or just the schedule pressures or whatever it may be. School is a stressor. Um, the general pace of life can be a stressor. Kids having to get up very early in the mornings and then they're running, running, running all day between schools and therapies and activities and all of these things. And especially for our kids with neurodevelopmental um, kinds of challenges, their brains um, benefit from a slower pace of life. They take a bit longer to uh, have their brain take in and make sense of things. And the faster things move, the more they're going to struggle, the more their stress level goes up. So this is actually a beautiful time period for them of having this slower pace, having less stress overall, being able to get more of the sleep that they need, being able to have more downtime while obviously still balancing that with other you know, kinds of important things. But, but I think there's some benefit that comes from that. And, and the other piece of that is that often in kids being in schools and being in therapies, the focus is very much on academic achievement or specific goals within those settings. And, and other areas that really need to be addressed for these kids tend to, um, go by the wayside. Things like, uh, you know, time management in general life, managing their, their self care, activities of daily living, um, the relational components, all of those things. And I think that this situation now with them being home, uh, with their parents, with their families provides an opportunity to focus more on those kinds of skills and and issues that become really important for them as they grow up, as they move towards, um, towards adulthood. So being able to have more opportunities without being constantly rushed to think about how am I going to manage um, you know, my self-care in the morning, becoming more proficient at that without mom or dad standing over them, um, you know, moving them along uh, at a hurried pace every morning, doing things together like uh, cooking, um, self-care kinds of things. It gives an opportunity to prioritize that really important stuff. So I think those are a couple of the reasons why I feel like this can actually be a time for some real growth and some real stress reduction and some real improvement for many of these kids. And, and we're hearing parents say, 
say that as well. You know, parents, I, I'm hearing, you know, whether they comment um, to me on Instagram or send me emails or even in my clinic going, wow, I was really worried. I thought this was going to be the worst possible thing <laughs> to happen. And I'm pleasantly surprised that actually I'm having the best weeks of my life with my child, which I think is really a lovely thing. Yeah, I, I have read on Facebook groups for parents of children with mental health and behavioral struggles where moms of kids that usually complain how you know, mind-blowingly difficult it is to deal with them that they're doing unexpectedly well. Um, so we know everyone is different, but how can caregivers and parents leverage the pluses of staying home to build on the positive effects and minimize the negative ones? Yeah, well, I think that the first thing is to be mindful of everybody's stress levels, right? So I see a lot of parents right now putting a lot of excess and, and I would say unnecessary stress on themselves of how do I be a teacher and a parent and do all these things and I'm trying to work from home. And I would say, you know, just we, we want to be, be cognizant of our own stress level and, and focus on what seems reasonable to focus on. We don't need to be everything to our kids right now. We're not going to be their teacher. We can be their guide. We can, you know, facilitate their, you know, getting done whatever the school may be sending home to get done. But otherwise, I'm really encouraging parents to focus on what they need to get done, especially if they're trying to work from home, but also look at how to incorporate their children into the everyday life activities that they're already doing. So, you know, as a parent, you're doing laundry, you're cooking, you're, um, you know, tidying up around the house, you're making plans for different things. Those are great activities to pull your child into at whatever level they're, you know, capable of engaging and have them do some of those things along with you. That reduces the stress of having to come up with, you know, additional things to keep them busy, but it also provides really valuable learning opportunities and it reduces our, um, our stress as well, particularly if you have, um, Older kids or kids who are capable of tackling some of those things around the house independently, pull them in and have them do that. That takes some, you know, stress off of your plate too. So, you know, not overloading ourselves and not overloading our kids. Just because our kids aren't in school right now doesn't mean that we need to make sure that every minute of the day from eight to four is spent on what we would think of as some kind of, um, you know, learning or school-based activity. Not at all. In fact, we should be seeking to strike a nice balance there of some things that require their engaged attention with maybe learning activities on the computer for school or things like that. But then balancing that out with, you know, real life activities, whether it's, you know, play and leisure things, building with uh, Legos, doing craft activities, whatever it is that they may be, you know, into uh, getting movement. That's really important that kids are getting opportunities for movement, working on, you know, activities of daily living. So finding that balance and not feeling compelled to have every single moment be some kind of structured or learning-based thing. In fact, many kids learn best when they're left to um, explore some things on their own. Uh, and it's totally okay for kids to be bored once in a while. I want to, you know, just really help parents to understand that you do not have to entertain or keep your kids busy constantly. It's okay to take a break um, from each other. It's okay for them to be in their room finding some things to do or just being bored if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and for us to spend some time caring for ourselves too. So, you know, really just looking at what balance 
feels good for you and your kids in, in your home. You know your kids best. You know their tolerance for things best and not being afraid to go along with what is going to meet your needs right now as a family and not worry about what everybody else in the world might be doing. Right. What about um, kids with kind of specific types of problems? Like I'm thinking an anxious child would have different needs right now than a child with attention issues. Um, Is there any common through? I mean, you sort of have discussed the common through lines, but can you give a couple examples of specific struggles that kids have that this time might be actually helpful? Sure. Yeah. So I've talked about a lot of general things. You're right. We can talk about some specifics. So let's take kids with um, attention and focus problems. Those kids tend to struggle a lot with what we call those executive functions. So being able to plan and organize their time, their materials, their uh, their space, their activities, all of that, you know, following through with things to completion, those kinds of things. Um, we've got opportunities now to work on some of that with them by saying, okay, we've got, you know, these three hours of the morning. Let's take a look at what we want to get done. Let's think about how much time do we think this might take. You know, let's make an estimate of time. Let's see how long it took. Those are great things for kids with executive function problems to be focusing on that they don't often focus on in the busy pace of the regular school day. Um, helping them to put together a schedule. Okay. How do you want to put these things in order? These are all the things that need to get done. You want to have some playtime and some time, you know, maybe to socialize with your friends online. How do we want to structure this and have them participate with you in thinking about how the flow of that day may go? Um, so, you know, and, and as I mentioned, even things like morning self-care routines, working from uh, lists, helping them build some independence with instead of a, a parent having to constantly prompt, hey, are your teeth brushed yet? You know, are you dressed yet? You know, come on, we got to keep moving to start working with, you know, some lists or some schedules for them to um, start to look at and say, okay, I'm going to work on, you know, more independently doing this. And again, how we do that depends on the age and, and the developmental level of the child. But those give some ideas of how we can use this time where we're kind of slowed down and don't have as much going on to focus on some of those um, pieces. So is that helpful in, in terms of the ADHD piece? Yeah. Um, what about the scared and anxious child that is already wrestling with that? And I can imagine, you know, fears of illness, fears, I'm never going to get out of here, this is forever, that kind of struggle, how might this time help an anxious child? Yeah, that can seem really counterintuitive, right? It's like, oh, how can a global viral pandemic help kids who have fears about illnesses? And it's true. I mean, this is um, this is a challenge for those kids for sure and, and for adults who deal with those issues. But here's what I'll say about that. Provides a really wonderful opportunity for these kids to practice healthy coping skills and build resilience around that. Because mm-hmm. while this may be an extreme example of, you know, uh, an illness issue, um, one of the things that kids who have a lot of anxieties about these things need to practice with is challenging their own automatic negative fear-based thoughts about that stuff, using logic, using you know, healthy coping skills to manage their anxiety. And this provides 
an opportunity for them to do that. And for us as parents, and even, you know, as practitioners, I mean, I, I, I am, and I know many of my colleagues uh, around the world who, who provide mental health services are still working with our clients and patients through telehealth. So this provides a great opportunity for us to use this current situation to help these kiddos with anxiety um, implement and practice with their coping strategies, whether that is, you know, structuring their day to include things like movement and some mindfulness activities, deep breathing, things like that, teaching them how to incorporate that into their day, helping parents to understand how to respond to these things. We shouldn't be spending the whole day talking about this or dwelling on this. Let's set aside maybe a time or two each day where we're going to, you know, talk about uh, that and set some boundaries around that. Um, a big one that I'll mention for these kinds of kids is for us to make sure that they are not being overexposed to media Mm. around these things. So to be intentional about um, monitoring and talking with them about how they're using um, their screen time, you know, not spending, uh, you know, all of their waking moments when they're not doing schoolwork, checking CNN or checking, you know, the most recent statistics. And, you know, even in our clinic, we've had some issues like that come up and we've had to to talk about that or, or parents, you know, being uh, mindful of not having the television um, on constantly or, or the radio or whatever it might be with a constant barrage of, you know, scary stories and things like that. that that's an important thing um, to be aware of for those kids, certainly during this time. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately these times that really challenge our kids um, with their fears and with their anxieties can be a beautiful opportunity to practice those coping skills and to build um, resilience and and just a healthier outlook on those things. Right. How are you uh, arranging your work-life balance? Like you said you were doing telehealth sessions. How do you use everything you know as a psychologist and a parent to help your own family make the best of the situation? Oh man, you went there. That's awesome. That's a, I, I love it. That's a, that's a great question, and it's a really fair question. Um, I think you know all of us as parents are constantly in progress or in process with figuring out that work-life balance, right? Um, yes, I am still doing telehealth sessions, so I do um, still treat uh, a fair number of patients each week, and I think. You know, it's important for us each as, as families, as parents to find a structure that works um, for us and for our kids. So what that looks like in, in my house, and again, my children are a bit older, you know, teenagers and young adults, we're having frequent conversations um, about expectations, about what's working and not working. Um, and, you know, just keeping those lines of communication open to figure it out. There's six of us now back, uh, you know, all living in the same space. And while I really love having all four of my kids home each night again for dinner, I feel like that, you know, rarely happens anymore with them getting older. I I love that. But also, there can be some challenges with that too, of all six of us um, being home. So the, the regular ongoing communication... Um, about how each of our needs is getting met or what isn't working. And my husband and I have been really intentional about discussing with them from the outset uh, of this and then ongoing about expectations and what our priorities are um, for them, that they need to be managing their self-care, 
chores. Movement is an important value that we have for our kids each day, learning activities, and then some sort of personal development. And so those are the expectations that they're engaged in those things as priorities before they are, you know, spending time doing online gaming with their friends or, or other kinds of things. And we continue to revisit that. Um, and, and for myself as well, thinking about what are my priorities? Yes, work, getting my work done is a priority, getting, you know, the kinds of things that I'm doing now with you, you know, th- those are priorities, but also looking at self-care. And a lot of the things that I typically do for self-care are off the table now with not being able um, to leave the house, including things like going to the gym or, you know, things like that. So I've had to reset my thoughts about that and figure out how can I make this work for myself. And I think that's a really important point for all of us as children and adults in figuring out this balance is to focus on what we can do. Um, rather than just focusing on what we can't. Okay, I can't go Mm -hmm. to the gym and do my normal routines. That's really important for me and my mental health. I know that for myself. So how can I meet that need? Okay, I can't go and, you know, have my usual time that I spend uh, with friends. So how can I do that? And when we shift the focus there, I think it keeps us in a much more empowered, mentally healthy place, both us and our kids, and, and helps us get creative about making sure that that our needs are met and, and that each member of the family's needs are met. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other thoughts on how to make the best of... Um being stuck at home for kids, especially kids that are normally struggling under any circumstances. Yeah. I think one of the other things um, that uh, is important to think about is giving some structure around all of the things, as we were just saying, all the things they can do. Kids often forget what they have available. Any of us who have had, um, especially you know, elementary or even middle school age um, children, you know, there's nothing to do. I'm so bored, right? Even though we say, oh my gosh, you have a whole, you know, room full of all kinds of things, but kid, kids forget and, and, you know, often cannot tap into what are the things they can do. And especially if you're parenting a child who struggles to initiate um, activities or to, you know, self-generate or, or come up with some of those ideas of what they can do. I think even a simple menu of activities. Let's look at all the things that you like to do and that are available to do. Let's look at what's in your room. Let's look at what, you know, we have in, in the yard and to help provide um, some options for them. For real young kids, that could be, you know, even a visual kind of, you know, picture-based list of options as they become readers. You know, we can just use, um, you know, lists that, that are written out. But for them to think with us about, oh, what are my options of the things that I can do? And then when they are floundering or, you know, maybe they're frustrated that you told them they can't, uh, you know, continue with the screen time for that period of time, or, you know, they're saying that they're bored or they're, they're struggling with what to do with themselves, we can guide them then to that list or that menu of options that they can choose from and, and get engaged with something. So that's a very tangible, practical um, strategy that I, can, I think can, can really help families during this time. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. Our guest has been child psychologist Nicole Birkins. You can visit her website at www.drberkins.com. That's D-R-B-E-U-R-K-E-N-S.com. I'm Miranda Spencer, and this has been Mad in the Family. Thank you for listening to the Mad in America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.